coming to you from sunny Denver, Colorado. Get ready for your weekly dose of unscripted conversation all about the housing industry in the Centennial State. Although their specialty is in mortgages, in this show, they are transcending lending. And now, your host, the most unconventional guys in conventional lending, the Mortgage In-Laws. All right, welcome to the show. We're back again after a bit of a break. I'm Brent Blankenberg. And Dylan Herrera. And this is Transcending Lending. Thanks for listening. Yeah, it's been a little while since we recorded one of these. Well, except for yesterday, we recorded one all in mute. So. Yeah, which was pretty funny because we just posted that video on Facebook Live and it was an obvious fail. So we do that and then we recorded a 40-minute podcast that went really well and it was on mute the entire time. All we even did a sound mute. check. didn't work out. So we have recorded a podcast. I don't know if that counts as recording, but let's just say we haven't done successfully a podcast in about a month. That's because I closed on a house a month ago myself and moved into a primary residence, and I've been moving in ever since. So when you buy a house, remember, it takes a long time to move in. That moving process, man, it just doesn't happen overnight. Even if you pay movers and you have a lot of friends and family helping, I know for me specifically with this house... We bought this and we had no window coverings on, I don't even think a single window. So in addition to putting together all the beds, putting up all the wall art, there's also buying and installing window coverings for every window. So anyhow, having said all that, uh, happy to be recording again. We're in the new podcast studio. This is the, the mm -hmm. first time recording here and got some natural light coming in. Mm -hmm. It is funny about the uh, just moving in. So typically when we get to a closing table, every time like the client is so excited to be done with the whole mortgage process because it is just grueling and it's not a fun process for sure. But they're always so excited that they're done and we're always thinking like now the hard part starts is actually moving, which yeah, yeah very time consuming. It's a lot of work, but nothing more rewarding. Like I know you're just about done so I know and even though it's been a lot of work it's so exciting we love our house so much and worth the move although this time I am not moving again anytime soon I think we'll be here for a few years so we moved actually a year almost exactly to the day a year before we closed a month ago so we had moved 13 months ago we went through the whole move process and wasn't fun that time either and I told myself at that point in time that I would not be moving again anytime soon but this house came up came about and it's a perfect spot so we made it happen and uh, it's not to scare anybody away from buying a house and moving because it's definitely worth it mm -hmm. uh, well if you get the right place it's worth it but just a reminder to those folks who uh, complain about the mortgage process, I promise you gathering these documents up and writing letters of explanation is a heck of a lot less work <laughs> than what you're going to be doing in the month to a few months after moving in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got a, I got to say, you got a great mom to help you out with that. I mean, they definitely helped out a lot, probably not as much as they could have because they're always seeing my little girl, which they adore. But she loves hanging curtains and hanging pictures. She and she oh, also yeah. you, so. Both of my folks, my mom and pops were up here for the move. And first thing, my dad always uh, dedicates one thing right away that he's like, this is what I'm going to take on as my project. So the last house uh, was terrible. He, he took on painting the house 
and unfortunately he made a mistake and used silicone for caulking so it couldn't be painted over and then he ended up spending days trying to fix that problem. So he stayed away from painting on this move, but he decided to uh, install our surround sound in the house. But him and I both did that together, did a great job, you know, so it looks good and everything. But having said that, it took two of us like all day to do that. That was the one project we got done, which at the beginning of the day, of course, I'm thinking, oh, I'll get the surround, my dad will get the surround sound up, I'll put this up, I'll put that up, you know, you think you'll get so much done, and you just get so much less done than you expect. Yeah, and the reason why it took so long, because a lot of people, like, can put up surround sound pretty quick, but this was not pre-wired, so they actually ran all the wires along the baseboards, up into the ceiling, so that's why it was so time-consuming, but it yeah. does sound great now. Yeah, what about you over the last month? You had a baby a little over a month had ago. Had a baby, a so, Everly. yep, Everly... Everly, that's her name. So she was six pounds, four ounces. She was born on February 19th. She's adorable. She's very different from our first. Our first was uh, pretty crazy. Um, changing a diaper was hard. Everything about it was just difficult because she loved moving. She hated being uh, contained at all. Mm -hmm. So this one is very content with just sleeping. She sleeps a lot. Um, my wife does a great job keeping obviously she has to breastfeed her but so i get a full night's sleep every night which is awesome very different from the first um but yeah she's she's great man she just sleeps yeah everybody's first comment when they hear about you being a new dad a second time dad is oh you must be a lot of sleepless nights but that really hasn't been your experience huh yeah not this time like i said the first was um this one definitely not so much which another thing i get often is oh my gosh you're so young you have two kids you're however old i'm 25 now but they're always guests and coming from salt lake i'm actually like an old man as far as having kids my sister had hers when she was 16 her first my oldest sister had hers when she was 18 i believe so everyone there starts young and yeah. if you're over 20 and don't have kids you're you're old news that's so crazy man that freaks me out yeah i don't know i shouldn't uh... I guess you get thrown into the situation, you probably do all right, but in, in retrospect, looking back to who I was from 18 to 25 years old or something, you know, uh, was not somebody who should probably be raising kids, but I guess that probably sobers you up and matures you pretty quick as well. You have those kids, you're not mm -hmm. able to just be selfish and that have is very tons of true. fun. My uh, my oldest brother, so I have, I have nine siblings for anyone that doesn't know, which is a ton of kids. I grew up in Salt Lake. And I'm also not Mormon, so um, something kind of funny about me. Big family from Salt Lake, not Mormon. But anyways, my oldest brother, he's about, I want to say 34. He's got two kids, and he actually had his first kid when they got pregnant when he was 15 years old, which is, just sounds insane. So he mentioned um, that he always associates having kids with the Mike Tyson quote, Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. So he said, you know, you're never prepared. Obviously, he was 15, but... Nonetheless, you're 40. You're not prepared to have a kid until that baby comes out. Yeah. And you just adapt. And luckily, us humans are very good at that. Yeah, no kidding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were talking about that the other day, how how adaptable humans are. I, I wish I had the name of the documentary I was watching on hand. It was a PBS documentary, but just talking about humans and how we have gone all over the world. We started out in the Great Rift Valley in Africa, and now... You know, there's people in Antarctica living, there's people at the top of the highest mountains, there's people in the hottest deserts. Humans are super, super adaptable, so mm -hmm. I guess I could probably come around to being a dad. Oh yeah, no, dude, you're gonna be, 
you're gonna be great. I see some people and think like they should not have kids. You're not one of those people. So yeah, You'll appreciate do that. It's probably coming up for too long. Uh, yeah, I'll say I won't say any names, but occasionally you see new dads holding their babies, and it's like so awkward, awkward looking. They just don't know how to do it. It's like Ricky Bobby when he's doing that interview and his hands keep on raising. <laughs> <as a relative. laughs> Am I doing this right? Ricky Bobby. Yeah, so, that's um, oh, sorry. Yeah, so we're we're doing this podcast today with just me and Dylan with no guests because we want to periodically do these just to talk about changes that are happening in our industry and in loan programs specifically. And there's been a lot of changes lately, so this episode is mainly dedicated to talking about those changes. So mm-hmm. a lot of different loan programs have had updates in the last few months or maybe even up to six months, but... First one we'll talk about is Freddie Mac loans. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you might have heard those two names. They are the largest purchasers of mortgages in the United States. And with being uh, that position, they basically can write the book on what you have to do to close a mortgage. And they, in fact, do write books on that. So there's a Fannie Mae guideline book and a Freddie Mac guideline book that they're constantly updating. And those tell you basically what a borrower and a uh, lender have to do to close a loan in this country. There are different guidelines for each one. Most of them are very similar, but they do differ in some ways. The biggest way that we have benefited by using Freddie Mac in the last few years is by helping self-employed people. Mm -hmm. So with self-employed people, um, Fannie Mae always requires that you at least have a two-year history of being self-employed and how you calculate their income is averaging that two years history over those two years. So with Freddie Mac, they have a huge benefit to self-employed borrowers and that being you have to have a two year history of being self-employed, but you only analyze one year of tax returns. So with that, a lot of people, when they first start their business, they don't make a ton of money. So that two year average really hurts them because their first year looked pretty poor. So this was a huge benefit for us um, just because we can't help people on their second year get into houses um, just because they typically make more money that second year. So coming coming soon, Freddie Mac is changing those guidelines to you have to have a five-year history with that same company in order to use the one-year of tax return analyst. So with that, um, not a lot of people have that five years. That's going to hurt a lot of people because if you don't have the five years, you have to use the two-year average. So they're basically sticking with Fannie's guidelines unless you've been with the same company for five years. So Mm -hmm. that's the big change coming. We don't have the actual guidelines on that yet, but that's essentially what it's going to be. Yep. And just to clarify on that, just to give you a real world example. So we're just in the beginning of 2017 here. So somebody, let's say, started a business at the very end of 2014. So they've got full tax returns for 2015 and 2016 at this point. Up until now, for the last few years, we were able to just use the 2016 tax returns for the self-employed person to calculate their income if we used Freddie Mac. If we used Fannie Mae, we would have to average the two together. And like Dylan was saying, a lot of times your first year, you don't make a lot of money. So that second year average just drags you down and doesn't allow you to qualify. Um, So moving forward, we uh, basically all lenders will be using two-year averages for self-employed people. So Mm -hmm. if you are self-employed and it's been less than five years that you've owned your company and you need to qualify with only one year worth of returns, you need to get under contract right away. You need to give us a call. So... Yeah, that change I believe is coming in June. I think if so. I remember right. 
Yep. So the sooner the better on that. Um, one good thing that's coming. So, um, I'm sorry, Freddie Mac is coming out with that. And with all things or anything bad, there needs to be a good thing to kind of balance it out. So they are coming out with a 1% down program, which is absolutely huge right now. The minimum you can get in without using a down payment assistance program is 3%. And those have to be in an income eligible area. We'll talk a little more about that. But basically, Freddie Mac is going to be using that same income eligibility property lookup tool and allow you to only bring 1% down. Same thing with that, it hasn't actually come out yet, so we don't have the full matrix on what comes with it. I'm assuming it'll be possibly a slightly higher interest rate, don't know for sure, but nonetheless, you can get into a house in a conventional program with 1% down. Yep, so FHA, as far as we know, will still be remaining that 3.5% down, so now it is significantly less that you need down for a conventional loan, so conventional loans are becoming even more attractive, and. I remember when Aaron was on one of our first podcasts and he was predicting that uh, with Trump in office, they'll kind of make FHA loans less attractive, basically try to get more people into conventional just because FHA is a government product. Um, so kind of putting less burden uh, and less responsibility on the government in that way. So with a conventional loan, you'll want to have a higher credit score to use that program. Otherwise, the interest rate is going to be through the roof and the mortgage insurance will be through the roof. But be awesome because as most people well know millennials are not great at saving money which uh no excuse i mean we need to be as a generation saving more money but they've come up with something to to allow people to buy houses even though they're not good at saving money so if you have good credit you have a good uh, work history looks like coming up soon you'll be able to buy a house with just one percent down so mm -hmm. really excited to hear more about that program when they come out with the specifics yeah and so that's a that, those are the two biggest changes with Freddie Mac coming um, here in the near future as far as we know the next thing would be Fannie Mae is changing or I guess adding a program so what they are doing is um, typically I guess you'd probably be better at explaining the loan to value but essentially you're allowed to finance some of your student loans into the loan so yeah basically what that means is if you have if you're buying let's say for example purpose if you're buying a place for a hundred thousand dollars at this point in time the highest you can go to on loan to value is 97 percent on a Fannie Mae loan so that means three percent down payment so you put three percent three thousand down on a hundred thousand dollar purchase they are now saying that they're coming out with this program which will allow you to go up to 120% loan to value and that extra 20% above is going to be strictly for student loans. So let's just say somebody has $20,000 in student loans and they're buying a house for $100,000. They will be able to wrap all of their student loans, all that 20,000 into their new mortgage. So no, they're no longer making student loan payments. Instead, it's all part of the mortgage. So. Uh, we see a ton of people who have so much student loan debt that there's no way they'll qualify for a house. So this should significantly help those people. Yeah, and that's the whole reason why they're coming out is just to make um, buying a house more affordable for those people that are going to school, getting degrees, um, you know, people that are responsible. Because it only really makes sense to go the conventional route. I believe if you're above like a 700 is where it kind of starts making sense as far as the monthly payment. So they want to give those people that are making their payments on time that have good credit a good opportunity to get into a house while still having student loans. Yep. And student loan debt is another soapbox of mine, but it's really out of control in this country. And 
this is definitely kind of just a band-aid it's not actually fixing the problem of student loan debt because it seems to me like student loan debt for our generation is going to be what credit card debt was for the 80s you know generation oh, yeah. for our parents generation and maybe this is a way for entities to get people to actually pay their student loans back too because i know a lot of people's mentality is that they're just not going to ever pay their student loans. They just are going to keep deferring them or keep paying the minimum amount and just hope that at some point in time they go away or there's a bailout and they're just erased or something. But mm -hmm. it's not a good practice to get into to not pay your loan. So no, it's not. And actually, I've kind of uh, I'm a I've been doing that myself. I had not a lot of student loans. In fact, comparatively, not a lot at all. I think it was about two thousand dollars. So really nothing but i've slowly been paying that off i don't know why i could probably just i can obviously just pay the whole amount and be done with it but i continue to pay the minimum 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 every time don't know why but i continue to do it what's your interest rate on it it is i want to say it's like there's like three different loans but i want to say it's around 10 or 11. oh yeah that's rough yeah Right, maybe but there's a, there's only like a five hundred dollar balance, so it's not it's not terrible. Yeah. However, it would be no, much. I hate to say it, but your situation is not the one I was talking about. We no. see people who go to grad school and put up hundred to two hundred thousand dollars or even more debt, and they're not at all interested in paying back their student loans. So mm -hmm. this, uh, it, I have no idea if people who uh, hold those student loans had anything to do with this loan program coming into effect, but. They're going to be getting, you know, a large chunk of their the loans on their books paid off in the near future when people start doing these loans. So I know they're happy about it, regardless of whether mm -hmm. or not they had a say and or any kind of um, emphasis on this. Or yeah, dude, it's a. I mean, I'd imagine I haven't actually looked at the stats for student loans, but I'm a, I would imagine they're through the roof as compared to even ten years ago. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's kind of promised when you go to school, oh, it doesn't matter. Or or the thought is you're starting to go to college and you're like, I don't even care. I'm going to make so much money someday that what do I care? I'll take on student loan debt. I'm going to be mm -hmm. making a million bucks, no problem, you know. And then people get out of school. Maybe they're making the same they would have made without the school. And I don't yeah. know. It's a tough position to be in. It is interesting. Um, so another big change is with the Chaffa program. So I'll let Brent go into kind of the history of Chaffa, what they've offered before, and then I'll go into the changes. Yeah, so previous to, I believe it was January of 2015, so a little over two years ago, previous to that, Chaffa did just second mortgages. So they did not do grant funds. So any money that you got from them uh, was for down payment assistance was in the form of a second mortgage. So it would have to be paid off at some point in time. If you haven't, if you don't know what Chaffa is, it's the Colorado Housing and Finance Authority. They are the largest source of down payment assistance programs in the state, uh, so very, very widely recognized. But previous to January 2015, it was all second mortgages. So the way that would work is if they gave you four or five percent of the loan amount for your down payment and closing costs, then they would record a second note on that, and they would be in second lien position. You'd have a second mortgage. I think back then it was a silent second, so I don't think you even made any payments on it. But when you sold the house or when you refinanced the house, you had to pay off that second mortgage. So they would basically eventually get their money back uh, with some interest. They changed that starting at the beginning of 2015 to being strictly grant, grant funds, which is basically like gift funds. They 
give you four, three, four, five percent for your down payment and closing costs, but you never have to pay that back. Now, having said that, nothing in this world is free, so it's not actually just a pure gift. You're taking on a higher interest rate, and you're also paying higher fees to do these loans, um, but you're not actually ever paying off the the amount in full. So where that really started to go wrong was people would get into these chaff loans and they'd be paying a higher interest rate, but they would only do that for about six months and then they would refinance into a standard FHA. So now Chaffa gets their mortgage paid off. Let's say the person over six months has paid back $1,200 with the higher interest rate to Chaffa, but Chaffa gave them $8,000 up front. So Chaffa is obviously losing a lot of money when they give grant funds to someone and then the person turns around and refinances you know, within, I don't know, I don't know what the break even point is, but probably two to four years or something for Chaffa to actually mm-hmm. make their money back. So now they have changed things again on us. Yeah. So as of this year, um, like Brent said before, you can take up to a 5% grant. So a three, four or 5% grant. They changed that to uh, this year to just a standard 4%. So you can't take less, you can't take more, you're stuck at a 4% grant. So that's the number one change. The second change is they brought back the second mortgage. So for people that have very little to put down, you could take up to a 5% of the purchase price and put that into a second mortgage. And with with that, it's the same thing as you said uh, prior to January of 2015. It is a silent second. It's a 0% interest on that mortgage, but it does have to be paid back in full when you sell the house or refinance. So those two programs... Um, it's, it's probably, like you said, to save Chaffa a little money from these people refinancing after six months because they will get that grant back for the people that really need it. And um, if you just need you know a little help, you can take that 4% grant. That is a gift. So those are the bigger bigger changes. No more 3%, no more 5% grants. You're stuck at a 4 and then also the 5% second mortgage. Yep. Now, a good thing about this change, which we're excited about, is... So previously, when it was a second mortgage, it was actually easier to get people qualified for these down payment assistance programs than it is with the grant. The reason is the the way that we qualify someone for a mortgage and the way that most mortgage companies do is by putting them through our underwriting software. So we use both Fannie Mae's software and Freddie Mac's software. They're two different systems, and you can run it through either one of those to get an approval. So if you have a file where a client is using down payment assistance and that's in the form of a grant, that's considered gift funds. And if somebody's being given money, it's actually looked at as being more risky than if somebody's taking on a second mortgage for that down payment assistance. So um, I, I guess they see that as being riskier, just getting gift funds as opposed to having a second mortgage. I don't quite understand why that's the case, but... Uh, nonetheless, uh, it's now easier, going to be easier to get people qualified. So back when they made the changes in 2015, I remember we had people pre-qualified at the end of 2014 for the Chaffa programs for various different programs. And then Chaffa came out and said, no more second mortgages. We're going all to grant funds. So we had to re-qualify these people, change the file up to now be a grant fund instead of a second mortgage and then put it through the system again and then we couldn't get it qualified. So we had multiple people within our office who had clients that went from being pre-qualified for a mortgage to no longer being pre-qualified because of these changes. So we are excited for that reason uh, to have the second mortgage 
back again. So if you've tried to get pre-qualified in the last few years for a down payment assistance program and were unable, I encourage you to reach out to us and we can try it again now that it's a second mortgage you should have a better chance of getting pre-qualified with that format of down payment assistance. Yeah, and the the rates are a little better on a second mortgage as a as opposed to the grant. Um, the reason why is it's just less risky for Chaffa because they are getting that money back. So if you were to do the four percent grant on an FHA program, I believe you're at a 4.875 today. Um, obviously, rates do change, but I believe that it's, that's what it's at today. If you were to do a grant, the five percent grant, you would be at a 4.5 interest rate. So you do get a slightly better interest rate, which also helps you with the down or the debt to income ratio, just because it's going to lower that monthly payment. Yep. So that's it for the Chaffa changes, the new loan program. So uh, some good, some bad. That's kind of how it always goes, but they're not severely tightening up, you know, what, what it takes to get qualified. So still a good time. Interest rates are still low. So still a great time to buy a home. Obviously, I'm a believer in the market. That's why I bought another house. So, yeah, um, and you—I mean, you got a good situation. So you've actually purchased three houses within 13, 14 months now. Yeah, three I'm, houses. So you bought bought a primary, then you bought a second house up in Pine, and now you've bought a second or well, another primary, um, and you converted the other one into an investment property. Yep. And you're renting that one out. So you rent the second house out part time as through Airbnb and yep. you're renting your old house out as a long-term rental. Yep. And now you have this house, which also has a separate entrance. Yep. Probably going to Airbnb that out. Yep. Yeah, no, it's been good. I mean, I'm severely lucky for this Fannie Mae home ready program coming out. It came out in January of last year and uh, we bought our first house in February of last year. So bought that using the 3% down Fannie program, which is awesome. And at that point in time, Fannie Mae did not allow you to own more than one home to use this program. But I guess it was July of last year, they changed their guidelines and said, all right, now you can actually own another property and still use the home ready program as long as it's gonna be your primary residence. So we now once again qualified for the home ready, even though we own two or I own three houses, but you could still qualify for it because it's gonna be our primary residence. So once again, we were able to put just 3% down on this place and money's so cheap right now that I'm I'm glad to put down as little as possible. You know, when interest rates are in the fours, that's really, really attractive over a 30 year term. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, lucky that it's, that it's, this program's in place right now. Very fortunate for our market being strong and for all the people that have supported me and everything. But um, and for Airbnb too, you know, we're in such a cool place right now to where shared economy. Yeah. There's just a lot of potential out there right now to make money where you don't actually have to completely be an entrepreneur. There's tools in place to help you make some extra money. Yeah. So how did, so a lot of people listening that actually know about this home ready program and Freddie Mac's version of it, which is the home possible advantage. Um, you might be curious on how someone like Brent could be qualified for that program and like i said it's uh, all based on income for the most part so why don't you explain how you're actually qualified for that when you make more than the average person yeah so they have broken it down based on census tracts so for each individual census tract they have said either there's no income limit meaning you can make a million dollars a year and still qualify or the you have to be under the average median income so or the area median income so most places 
and the Denver Metro, that's like 80,100, I want to say. And then for some areas that are really affluent, park places like Wash Park, they might set 80% of the area media income. So you'd have to make under like 64,000, I think is the number. So, but between the two programs, because they each have different income limits, so they don't go based off the same information. So between the two programs, something like 80% of the Denver Metro qualifies under no income limit. So now you could be somebody who makes $150,000 a year, owns another home, has $100,000 in the bank, doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank, but you can still qualify to put down as little as 3%. Which is crazy. Talking about how generous they are as far as the income limits and what neighborhoods and areas are um, given that no income limit. So Greenwood Village uh, 80111, that is considered a no income limit, which that includes Cherry Hills, one of the uh, yeah, one of the most, uh, I guess, affluent neighborhoods yeah. in the Denver metro area. Pretty crazy. Yeah, we just drove through there. Man, what an incredible neighborhood that is. Yeah, you don't find like you don't find big lots like that um, around Denver. I mean, those are acre plus and just yeah. these massive houses. I don't even want. I don't even want to look at the sticker price. You definitely can't go look at one of those because then every other house you look like look at is going to look like dog shit. Yeah. So you can't, <laughs> can't, can't be going and looking at the nicest properties in Denver and then, uh can't afford it. Let's go look at something. No, that's true. And that's actually, I feel like, a common mistake that a lot of people do. They, they start looking at the top of their budget. And in Denver, it's a multi, you know, everyone's bidding on houses. There's multiple offers. So they look at the top of their budget and they realize that they got to probably put 10 to 25 grand extra yeah um, at least offer 10 to 25 grand extra in order to get under contract so a lot of the cases they see these nice house nice nice houses when in reality they should probably be looking 25 grand lower yeah yeah it is a crazy market out there and values just keep going up we we closed a loan this morning that I want to see, you probably remember the numbers better than me, but was our contract price right around 300 or 350? Exactly, yep, right at 300. 300. Mm-hmm. And what did the flippers buy it for? I want to say they bought it for 119. So bought it for 119, mm-hmm. and then less than three months later had it under contract for 300 grand. Two and a half times what they bought it for? Yeah. How crazy. That is crazy. And uh, we have another one that just wanted a contract. I think it's that one. So the the list price was at three fifty, and the offer went in at three seventy five. They countered at three ninety, yep. and they our borrowers accepted that. So ninety. So forty grand over what the list price is. That's just I guess that's what it takes in some cases. We're obviously at probably the worst time for that because the inventory is so low. Mm-hmm. But, but did that one, the flippers bought that one less than six months ago, I think for like 180 or something. Yeah, I don't remember the actual price that they bought it from, but um, the, yeah, the reason why I don't remember, it's a conventional loan, so we don't need a second appraisal. It doesn't mean as much to me, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, they still probably yeah. made good money doing it. Yeah. And we're actually throwing around the idea of purchasing a house and trying to flip it for the first time. So yeah, if anybody knows any good contacts for us to... I guess learn their first flip lessons from let us know that or if you know somebody that's trying to get rid of a house for under market value we'd love to (laughs) we'd love to help them out with that that would be nice that would be nice yeah and speaking of these different uh investment ideas or ways of making money with airbnb and flipping and all that our next guest that we're having on a buddy of ours mike brockway who fancies himself a bit of a house hacker 
and uh, entrepreneur, and we're going to have a lot more conversations about yeah. this. So I'm excited to have him on the show. I mean, just to give you a little bit of history behind him, uh, Brent knows him a little better than I do, but he owns a place up in Westminster, I believe, and the house has, I, I want to say, five bedrooms. So he moved in there and rented out the four other bedrooms to just renters, and he paid for his mortgage plus quite a bit more, actually. I want to say his mortgage is like maybe 11 1200 is that right 1200 but that doesn't include escrow so we're probably looking at 1500 with escrow. roughly 1500 and i think he made 22 a month yeah roughly like i mean that. we'll talk probably uh we'll talk more about the numbers when he's actually on the podcast but so he did that and then he ended up buying another primary resident through us um, with a fannie mae home ready with a fannie mae home ready three percent down uh discounted mortgage insurance and um the they um you get the rate as if you were putting more than 40 percent down. down and you have above a 720 credit score yep so there's no adjustments on the interest rate um you can talk a little more about that in a little bit so he did that he used that program bought in denver and now he's living there and also renting out the rooms in that house yep. so between the two houses he more than likely does not have a mortgage payment he's paying for that maybe even plus some so right now he's unemployed um just learning about the real estate market. He wants to get in there, so looking for the right opportunity. Yep. Yeah, I won't go into detail right now about the interest rate adjustments, but reach out to us if you're an analytical person and you're curious to know what that means. But basically, you get the best interest rate out there with that program. So mm -hmm. we'll have Mike on soon, and we will uh, we will post that next week, probably that podcast. So mm -hmm. check that one out. You'll enjoy that. Yeah, and also once these um, new changes do come out, so when the Fannie Mae program comes out with these student loans, we're actually going to come out with a podcast a shorter podcast that goes over the that program specifically in detail along with the new Freddie Mac program with the 1% down and also the self-employment changes. So we'll uh, have a more detailed podcast on those loan programs here in the new near future. Yep. And thanks for listening to us again. Thanks for being patient with us while we took a little bit of time off. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Mortgage and Laws mm -hmm. and we're going to get better about posting there, I promise. Yeah, we're we're not too social. We're, our social media skills are not great, to no, say, they're to not say great, the least. But we still, we're good at other things. In fact, so that closing we had today, uh, we we always like to take pictures of with the, with our clients at the at the closing table, and we got one today. Brent was trying to post it on Instagram. I asked him, I was like, hey, have you posted that picture? He's like, no, I don't know how, which is hilarious. <laughs> yep. So funny. Especially but old man status. Old man status. Uh, but we are on Instagram. We're also both on Facebook, just our names. And Transcending Lending on the podcast app. Subscribe, and you will get to know as soon as those episodes hit the air. So thanks for listening. Reach out if you have questions, and hope to hear from you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Transcending Lending. For more episodes, subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, or visit our website at transcendinglending.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.